The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of the Belmont Media Center or the Town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Welcome to the Hopeless Fancast, the podcast that loves fans as much as fans love pop culture. I'm your host, Eileen Maxson. Before you listen to our show, be pre-warned. There will be spoilers. For today's podcast, we will be talking with Becky, an academic turned game designer, about the show The Good Place. Hi, Becky. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I'll start by asking the question I ask everybody. What do you love about The Good Place? What I love about The Good Place, and there are a lot of things I love about The Good Place. The thing (laughs) I love most is how optimistic it is about human nature. Huh, that's interesting. it, It really embraces the possibility that people can get better, that people can help each other get better. And that good friendship can support you during even the toughest times. That is an excellent take on it. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> so so who is your favorite character? Oh my gosh. So I have to say there, there's probably a lot of cheaty in me. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So yeah, the premise of The Good Place, it's about a woman who gets into heaven by mistake. She was not actually a good person during her life. Mm-hmm. Um, but after she dies she is told that she is actually in the good place. The main character's name is Eleanor, played by Kristen Bell. Mm -hmm. Absolutely brilliant. Yes. Um, So Eleanor's roommate, Chidi, is a philosophy professor, um, or he was during his life. Mm -hmm. And she asks him to help her become a better person so that she can really deserve to be in the good place. So this is the point where I'd like to tell you all, um, if you have not seen The Good Place, hit pause on the podcast. Yep. (laughs) Go watch the whole thing and then come back. Yes. Uh, There's a giant twist at the end of season one that is infinitely cooler if you get it as a surprise. Yes. The spoiler warning is particularly important on this because, yeah, the, the twist is one of the amazing things about the show. Yes, and I, I really want to talk about the twist um, as part of this, you know, how it gets set up and what it means and all of that. Yes. Um, so, yeah, at the end of season one, you find out that they were in the bad place all along. Yes. Eleanor and Chidi and their next door neighbors, uh, Tahani and Jason, they're all actually in the bad place. The neighborhood that they've been placed in, in the good place, is basically an elaborate movie set Um, and all of the people who they had originally believed were fellow residents of the good place are all demons playing roles to convince them that they're in the good place and they're being told that they're in the good place is the actual torture that they are receiving in the bad place. The four of them have been matched up with each other because each of them has personality traits that will torture the others. And all of them believed in life that they were such good people. Except they, for Eleanor. Except well, for Eleanor, yeah. Yeah, her. yeah. 
I, and I was going to say maybe Jason, but I think that Jason actually wasn't bright enough to realize he wasn't a good person. And he may have realized it, but he also doesn't care. Like one of the things about Jason is that he is so at peace with himself. You know, whereas Chidi is constantly torturing himself with his indecision and Tahani with her feelings of inadequacy. And Eleanor really has the seeds of a good person inside her. And so she is the one who is bothered the most by the belief that she's in the good place but doesn't deserve it. Right. Because she really wants to deserve it. So she goes to her roommate, asks him to help make her a better person. You find out in the season finale of season one that they have all been in the bad place all along. And Michael, the architect overseer of the neighborhood, played by Ted Danson, another genius casting choice. Yeah, he is so amazing. Like every single, yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and so he is actually a demon who was creating a new section of the bad place. And season one ends with Michael hitting the reset button. Yes. Erasing all of their memories and starting from scratch. Because they've realized they're in the bad place, therefore his experiment has failed. Right. And so he has to start over. And so season two is all the fallout from that. So that's the premise of The Good Place. (laughs) Now, back to the favorite character. I love them all. They're all really brilliantly complex. Um, But I have a lot of sympathy for Chidi. Mm. Um, You know, he he is the intellectual. He desperately wants to do the right thing and I really sympathize with him on that but he wavers back and forth between being absolutely convinced of what the right thing is to do and being utterly unable to decide on a course of action it's just a wonderful contradiction in him and you know I sympathize with that as an academic you know you can get yourself tangled up in these little cycles of overthinking and and yeah it's annoying for people around you and it's annoying (laughs) for yourself because you just want to do something um so yeah I have a lot of sympathy with Chidi on that (laughs) yeah well it's interesting too how much of a reflection of the show as a whole that is because you know the show on kind of a meta level is about You know, it's about ethics in the way that ethics is where, you know, philosophy actually hits reality when, you know, what we what we think and what we believe actually then translates into what we do. So, you know, having Chidi there with kind of that that conflict with, you know, kind of the academic knowledge of this is what should be done coming into conflict with, oh, my God, but what does that mean that I actually do? Is this really interesting kind of, you know, commentary on the whole thing, which uh, comes particularly to the fore in the episode about the trolley problem. Oh, God, the trolley problem. (laughs) (laughs) So so here's where I'd like to say that uh, I majored in philosophy in college. Sorry, go go on. talk about it with you. You know, I really want your take on the philosophy side of it. Um, my degree is in history. And, you know, medieval history means I get, a, you know, I've studied a lot of medieval philosophy and theology. Uh-huh. But I really wanted to talk to you as a philosopher. Oh, well, great. <laughs> Uh, my master's degree is in theology, but my concentration was theological ethics because that is kind of what what most interests me about philosophy and about theology, how what we believe 
you know, how it, it translates when the rubber hits the road. So yeah, so uh, going into the trolley problem, which for, you know, all philosophers is is incredibly yeah. familiar. That was really kind of the crux of the show for me. Not so yeah. much of the, the plot, but kind of really bringing to the forefront what it is that they're trying to do with the show. Um, yeah. so, so the trolley problem is you imagine yourself on a trolley or on a train and there are two tracks and one track is about to hit five people and another track will hit one person. The train is going towards the five people, but you can throw a switch that will send it towards the one person so that you'll kill one person as opposed to five. And this is the problem. And they do it so well because they start off in that episode with Chidi presenting it to his students and then, you know, kind of being very academic about it. And then Michael actually puts them in the situation and Chidi has to see what happens when he's actually there and he has to make that right. decision, which is amazing because there's always that separation when you're actually asking these questions of, you know, oh, well, what would I do? But I know that I will never actually be in that situation. So right. uh, actually having it be right there and having to deal with the fact that not only are you killing five people, but like all their blood and guts is, you know, coming up and, right. and splattering <laughs> all over you. Right, um, it's horribly gruesome. You yes. see the CD like literally covered in blood yes. after every iteration of the trolley problem. Yep, yep. Um, and when he when he hits his friend, like his friend's foot comes off in the boot. <laughs> Horrible boots. <laughs> it's true. It calls back the boots. So yeah, so I I really like the fact. Like that's, you know, for me, one of the reasons that I love this show because Doing philosophy, you know, people have a tendency of looking at it as, you know, kind of an ivory tower sort of thing. Right. But this show shows us that, no, it's not about debating ideas. It's about really how we treat each other. Yes. And how to live a good life and how to treat other people. And that's what I love about the dynamic between Chidi and Eleanor because she is so non-abstract and so non-academic that she always immediately grasps the application of it to real life. Yes. Um, you know, one of the moments that I really love um, in season one when they're talking about utilitarianism. Yes. And, and Eleanor, like, if I were still teaching and if I needed to teach utilitarianism, I would show that episode to my students because the explanation is so good. And because Eleanor just understands Look, I understand utilitarianism because I can see how it's affecting you, my friend, to have to help me. You know, she says, I'm a utilitarian nightmare because <laughs> you helping me means that you're holding yourself back. And that is, it is an application of utilitarianism that shows how the system breaks down. And, and I love it. And then later on with the trolley problem, you know, one of my absolute favorite moments of the whole series is right near the end of season two when Michael, they, they need to escape from, um, yes. from the demons to get to the judge. They're being chased. They don't have enough passes for all of them. And Michael turns to Eleanor and says, I've solved the trolley problem. Yes. I know what you're supposed to do. You sacrifice yourself. Yeah, that is such a powerful moment. And it, it shows how much Michael 
has grown and changed. And again, it's all through relationships. It's all through his friendship, mostly with Eleanor, but yes. also with the others. That he understands that what you do in that moment of crisis is you help your friends. I love the fact that in season two, Eleanor becomes kind of, she becomes kind of the go-to person when people have questions about what they're supposed to do, you know? Yeah. But like Chidi's <laughs> teaching them all and giving them kind of that, that framework. But it is Eleanor that they go to in order to talk about, you know, what do they do when Janet is glitching because she actually loves Jason? You know, how do, they, how do they handle that? So, you know, and stuff like that. Right. And, you know, Tahani is having conflicted feelings about Jason, too. And right. she goes to Eleanor. Yes. Um, yeah, I love that friendship. It's so wonderful. It is. <laughs> well, I love the, 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 the moment at the end of season one where where Eleanor is talking about all of them and, you know, a, a, a neurotic philosophy yes. professor and an amateur DJ from Florida and a, a, a fraud socialite with legs for miles. <laughs> I might actually be I legit be attracted. Legit yeah. <laughs> you know, and at one point they call back to it that when, uh, when Janet has created Derek, uh, her her rebound boyfriend, yes, um, who's just <laughs> hilarious. Eleanor says, "I wish you could, you know, create me somebody." And Janet says, "Based on our conversations, that would be Stone Cold Steve Austin's head on Tahani's body, or vice versa, or vice versa." <laughs> yes. <laughs> I hope the network allows Eleanor and Tahani to get together at some point. Um, that would be interesting. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and oh my gosh, show us the reboot where there were soulmates, please. Yes, yes. <laughs> I that so much. <laughs> yes. It's one of those things that sometimes TV shows do where they like show you a glimpse of something that is meant to kind of be, you know, oh, look, isn't this interesting? And then you're like, no, you totally should have made an episode entirely out of that. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, but you know, if, aside from shipping a lot yes. um, <laughs> you know, I love the Eleanor Tahani friendship yes um, they're so different and yet they can connect on in a lot of real ways and you know um, another one of my favorite moments in season one when Eleanor and Tahani both realize right at the same time that they're developing feelings for Chidi right and you know they confess it to him both at the same time and Chidi of course you know like the the, the gears grind in his brain and he can't <laughs> deal with anything and he just has to like run away right um, and Eleanor and Tahani are left with each other and Eleanor says you know we are not going to be those women who fight over a man our friendship is weird and messed up but it's ours and I am not going to let anything destroy it and so they spend the whole rest of the episode helping each other feel better. Instead of competing, they cooperate and they support each other. And that is amazing. And I so hate the trope of women in competition. Yes. You know, the, the, there can be only one. And, you know, they, they fight over the man and all of that. I hate that. And what I love about this show is that it, it took that trope head on called it out, yes. talked about how destructive it is, and said, no, we can be better than that. We're going to be better than that. We're friends. We're going to keep being friends, and we're going to support each other no matter what. And I love that. 
It's true. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, in, in many ways, the show, like, never takes the easy route. Like, yes. you know, it would be so easy and so cliched for them to fight over him. And you can tell that that's what the demons wanted to happen. Because, yes. you know, you have the real Eleanor, who is actually <laughs> a demon, basically kind of goading them on. And then, like, stepping in herself that she loves Chidi and trying to make it this big competition. And, yeah, the fact that they... They bypass that really surprises the demons. Yeah. I, I hadn't even thought of it like that before, that this is what the demons want. I mean, because it's a trope that's just so deeply ingrained into pop culture that I hadn't even realized that it was something that the other characters were intentionally trying to cause. But, but yeah, you're absolutely right. This is what the demons want. And every single time they try to set up one of those dynamics, it's Eleanor who breaks it. You know, Eleanor confesses that she's not supposed to be there and she breaks the whole system that they've set up. She just refuses to play by the rules. She always figures out that it's a setup. She always breaks the system by trying to become a better person. Right, right. She never ever does what they expect her to do. And neither do the others. I mean, you know, there's the whole thing, too, with, like, Tahani and Jason. Yes. That you have that that relationship where they're totally expecting that, you know, Jason's going to hide himself as Jianu, um, right. and that's going to drive him nuts. And then if he does happen to come forward with, you know, here I am, you know, he's going to be ashamed about it, or Tahani is not going to want to have anything to do with him anymore. Um, right, because, and, yeah. because of her own social pretensions. You know, she's going to push him away and think that he's beneath her. So yeah, either way, Tahani is, is set up to lose, either because she's frustrated because her supposed soulmate can't give her the kind of conversation that she, that she really needs to be happy. Right. Or because... She is told if he you know, reveals his true identity, then she's upset because he lied to her and or he is, you know, an unemployed DJ from Florida. Right, right. He's the kind of person that she would never, ever look twice at when she was alive. I've got to say, as a side note, as somebody who is from Florida, yes. <laughs> I, you know, uh, nobody can appreciate those sorts of jokes about Florida as much as a Floridian because it's like, you know, yep. <laughs> He's an amateur DJ from Florida, particularly from Jacksonville, who loves the Jaguars and is not that bright. Yeah, that pretty much checks out. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Can I say I love the way the Jacksonville Jaguars have become this pop culture phenomenon because Jason loves them? Yes. Sweet. (laughs) It's true. Well, it's really interesting, too, how much, uh, and I've seen this mostly in terms of, like, philosophy, but how much this show has really started to influence the culture. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like, uh, there was the article that you you shared with me about the philosophy professors who they they talked to and how, you know, now they're starting to use the the show in their own classes to, to explain things or even just to, like, form an entire course around. And people have started, like, buying the books that they bring up on Amazon. Uh, yeah, apparently uh, What We Owe to Each Other has just jumped in the Amazon rankings. Yes. Which I love so much. It's true. It's true. I haven't bought it yet. Like, I haven't yeah. <laughs> I haven't I, pulled that, that trigger yet, but it's totally on my wish list. So, Likewise, I haven't read it either, but, but I really want to. Yes. Now, now I want to know, which means 
you know, the show is doing its job. (laughs) It's true. I'm hoping that, you know, people will be able to, one of the problems with philosophy and particularly uh, philosophy works is that a lot of them are just really, really dry. Yeah. Um, Like I remember (laughs) when I was in uh, my freshman year, uh, my philosophy classes, after like one of the tests, people were talking about how they they had come up with the word Kanting, which was (laughs) to pontificate incomprehensibly. And that that's that can be really hard to kind of come to philosophy and then start reading things and really have no idea what they're talking about. But this show is giving everybody this great kind of baseline. Okay, here's basically what Kant is talking about. Here's basically what Kierkegaard is talking about, which is going to enable so many people to then go and start reading these things. And where they might not have had kind of that key before, now they have it and they'll be able to kind of move forward with it. It's great. I mean, and and it's so much in the spirit of the show too, people sharing knowledge and helping each other become better people. You know, the people in the show are helping us out in the real world become, become better people. Because it's getting us to think about these ethical questions and to think about how do we live our lives on Earth and what does that mean for the people around us and for what happens after. Like you said, it has such an optimistic view of it. Yeah. And I think that that, too, is really helpful because we kind of see human nature and see that, yes, you know, even Eleanor, who is the common phrase, you know, this dumpster fire of a person. Right. um, Even she's able to be interested in being good and also to start becoming good. Yeah. And at the same time, it's not like she suddenly flips on a switch. It's hard. We see her working at it and we see her, you know, making mistakes and picking herself up and continuing on. And she's able to do that because she has the support of really good friends. Yeah. One of, uh, in the season two finale, she's given a second chance at life, which I, I hope we get to talk about the season two finale and what that means for the future because mind blown once again. Um, It's like, yes, they have completely changed the the mode of the show. Not the theme, yeah. but the mode of the show. Mode, Again, yeah. yes. Yeah, so in so in the season two finale, Eleanor is given a second chance at life. Um, yes. Because they've reached the end. They've talked to the judge, the, the immortal judge of all afterlife. Yes. And she says that, no, only the actions that you perform on Earth can count towards your points that determine whether you get into the good place or the bad place. And Michael says, okay, so let's send her back. And so she is saved at the last minute from the accident that originally killed her. Mm-hmm. And she takes this epiphany, you know, like, oh my God, I almost died. And oh my God, if I had died, I would have died as a terrible person. And so she spends six months becoming a better person. You know, she quits her awful, immoral job and gets a job helping the environment. She tries to live life better. She treats people better. And she, but she also shows how hard it is, you know, when she confesses to her friends about something she had lied about in the past. Right. Her friend gets really, really mad at her and justifiably so, because yeah, she did treat her friend really badly. And so, you know, Eleanor's life takes this downward turn. Even though she's trying to do good, she doesn't get an immediate payoff. Um, And so it shows how hard it is. And, you know, you don't just wake up one day and decide to be good and that's it. You have to keep doing good. One of my other 
pop culture loves these days is the comic book Ms. Marvel. Oh, um, oh my gosh, it's wonderful. Cool. Anyway, Ms. Marvel, uh, teenager Kamala Khan, <laughs> when she's, she gets her superpowers, she's deciding to go out into the world and use her powers for good. And she has this amazing line, good isn't something you are, it's something you do. Nice. I love that. That is great. Yeah. And The Good Place uh, is really about that. You know, it's not about just sitting around thinking about good things. Right. It's about treating each other well. It's about making a good effect on the world around you. But it's not only about making a good effect on the world around you, because that's the whole um, message of Tahani's character. Right. Because Tahani raised literally billions of dollars for charity. And yet she did it for selfish reasons because she wanted to show up her sister. She didn't actually care about the people she was helping. She just cared about making her own image look good. And so even the good acts that she did weren't enough. It has to be both good acts and good intentions, according to uh, according to the moral framework of the show. Yes. The moral framework of the show is also a really interesting kind of Um, question, because the question of, okay, well, what is this scale for figuring out who's a good person and who isn't? How does that kind of shake out when it comes to your view of the world, my view of the world, so on and so forth? The the point system, and that's something that I've been been thinking a lot, and I think one of the places this show is headed is tearing down the system. I mean, because in so many ways, they've been showing that the system is messed up. Yes. Um, And, you know, Michael has now become an unreliable narrator from the first part of season one, but I was going back and watching the pilot Mm -hmm. where Michael is explaining to Eleanor what the good place is like and who's here and all of that. And he said, you know, well, you know, Florence Nightingale didn't make it into the good place. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Florence Nightingale? Really? And of course, now I'm not sure whether that's Michael creating the facade for Eleanor of unreasonable standards to make her feel worse about herself. Or is that real? Are the standards really that unreasonably high? He also talks about, he he tells Chidi that the philosophers that he loves are in the bad place. The moral philosophers that he loves and that he's based his whole life on. Right. So, yeah, yeah. And again, is that is that the way it really is? Or was he just doing that to try to torture Chidi? Right, <laughs> right. You know, by, by planting seeds of even more doubt in poor, doubtful Chidi's brain. Yes. That, you know, maybe the people whose example you tried to follow all your lives were not actually that good, uh, were not actually really good people. Well, we do have some uh, kind of objective information about that system, though. We have Jen, the great, you know, all-knowing judge. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And we also have the video at Mindy St. Clair's house about how she managed to be in the middle place. So there is some... Yeah, there, there is some yeah. external corroboration. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, no, and that's the thing. Like, yeah, the and the existence of Mindy, I guess, does give us some evidence that Michael was maybe telling the truth. Because if really only one person has ever qualified for a medium place... Then it's got to be a really, really unusual thing to happen. Right, and what got Mindy into the medium place was 
both extreme badness and extreme goodness at the same time. Like not even the ordinary mix of goodness and badness that happens in regular people would qualify you for a medium place. Everything has to be either all bad or all good. So yeah, like I I think we need to tear this system down. Yeah, I agree. And it's also really telling that our four are the only people ever to have broken the system. And I wonder if one of the reasons why is that they're the only ones who were ever given a second chance. They were treated as if they had gotten into the good place, which showed them the possibility of being able to change and being able to deserve the good place. Yes. Everybody else before them was told, okay, you were bad and you're in the bad place and that's it. Right. They were shown another way and shown the potential that they could achieve. So they were treated differently, and therefore they acted differently. And they acted differently every single time through 803 reboots or whatever it was. Every single time they found each other and they wanted to become better people. Like there's nothing special about our four people except that they were the only ones who have been given this opportunity. If other people had been given the same opportunity, others probably would have gotten better too. One of the the, uh, the questions or the, the interesting things that that brings up though is kind of the idea of moral luck, which they haven't gotten into at all. And I'll be interested if they do. Uh, but the, the idea of moral luck is that sometimes who we are as people depends a lot upon basically what opportunities we are given in our lives that allow us to choose certain things or not choose certain things. One of the the great examples of this would be Oscar Schindler. Oscar Schindler was not that great of a person going into, you know, the Holocaust, but he was given the opportunity to do an amazingly good deed. And and we tend to think of, of him as being a good person. But what would have happened had he not been given that opportunity? Would he have been a good person? And to what degree would that have been kind of his fault that he wasn't able to be better because he just wasn't given the opportunity to be better? Yeah. And and I think the show is really, there's never been an episode about moral luck, but I think that concept is really strongly present. Um, And it comes up a lot with Eleanor when it shows the flashbacks to her parents. Eleanor had horrible role models. Yes, she did. Horrible role models. I don't know if that's exactly what moral luck is, but it's, it, it feels like it's part of it. You know, she was never given the opportunity to learn how to be a good person because she never had any good examples to follow, except during her second chance when she fell in with the environmental group. So she took the opportunity to talk to someone whose morality she admired. Right. And it's interesting because I think she admired his morality, even seeing him. I think she admired him. And that's part of why she was so horrible towards him. He had something that she felt that she lacked. Exactly. I mean, and that's why the good place was devised as a punishment for her, because she knew she could be better. She knew that she wasn't being better. And she reacted to that by lashing out against better people. Yeah. And that's absolutely why she treated poor environmental boy. Does he ever get get a name? He must. Uh, I think he does. And I'm 
I don't remember what it is, but I think he does get named. I think that he even like gives her his name when she's almost died and she turns to him. And I think that that's when that connection happens. But I don't remember what his name is. So me either. Anyway, environmental boy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. um, And she has actually been in contact with him for a long time. She sees him every day and she always treats him badly. Yeah. It was interesting actually doing a rewatch of the show. And and noticing that because, you know, otherwise he's just kind of, you know, peripheral um, and he doesn't become really important until until later on. But watching it back, it's like, oh, my God, he has been there from the beginning. I love the way this show is constructed. Everything is there from the beginning. When I was doing my rewatch in the very first episode, when Eleanor is telling Chidi about her life, she's like, my parents were horrible people. They're probably in the bad place torturing each other. It's there. It's all there. This is one of the reasons why the um, twist at the end of season one is so genius. Because it is both a complete surprise and when you get it, you say, of course. Because all the pieces were there. You just didn't see what they meant until the twist happened and change your, your perspective on it. Yes. <laughs> that sort of thing is always fun where it's like, yeah. you know, oh, my God, that's right because of this and this and this. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, they do that so well. Yeah, I love it. I, I really, really admire the writing and the, just the tightness of the construction of everything. Yes. Every single thing is important. Yes. Even the things that are just there because they're hilarious are important you know yes. it's like the uh all of the the bad puns for the restaurants oh my gosh yes <laughs> frozen yogurt yes you think frozen yogurt is a throwaway joke but it's not it's totally not it is how does he put it like uh he when um when michael is putting the the, the neighborhood together yes. he asks janet you know what what is something that, you know, humans think they like, but is also kind of a bummer? And she says right. frozen, yogurt. frozen yogurt. It's like, and oh, it's yes. It's not a throwaway joke. It's actually a clue. Yes. That this place is not perfect. Yes. Really, if it were perfect, there would be way more ice cream. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And it's amazing how, you know, there's all these little things. And it's also, you know, it's so much virtue signaling, I guess, you know, that yeah. of course good people are going to like frozen yogurt. Of right. course good people <laughs> are going to not want to swear, you know, stuff right. like that, where it's like, okay, <laughs> well, I guess that's true. And I'm going to have to pretend that that's true because I want to be good, but... Right. I, I, I love the swearing. Yes. <laughs> Forking brilliant. Yep. You know, holy shirt balls. <laughs> <laughs> it's like even her swearing is, even though what's what's most funny of, about it is that they can't actually say the words. Right. Even her swearing is creative. And, and just like a little too bright. I love it. Yeah. And the way that everything is, is just so cheerful, they deal with a lot of really dark subjects and yet there is never kind of that feeling of like tragedy you know right because like you know they murder janet they murder janet several times and you know and michael murders janet several times and it's always kind of played in this very lighthearted way right i mean and the whole premise is like all of these people are dead we yep. actually get flashbacks to their death scenes. Yes. And part of it is that the deaths are just so over-the-top ridiculous. But also, I think there's a lot in the aesthetic of the show that 
helps us get past what otherwise would have been a tragedy because the, the death is not the point. The life is the point and the afterlife is the point. And yeah, I really admire how they've crafted that aesthetic to help us get past that. All of the the bright, cheery colors and the very bright light and the pastels and the, the, the little cheerful, tinkly music in the background. Yes. Everything is just so cheerful that you it keeps your mind in that mode yes. rather than tragedy. But at the same time, like there have been a few moments that where I legitimately teared up, you know, like Michael sacrificing himself. Yes. Um, Eleanor crying over the toothbrushes. Yes. Oh my God. That totally broke my heart. Yes. <laughs> it's like this, the little, the, the parent toothbrushes <laughs> taking care of the little kid baby toothbrushes. Oh. oh my God. Yes. No. <laughs> and it's tragic because it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and because it's such a human emotion. You know, like grief is like that. You know, the random little things will set you off. And I think that's another one of the genius things about this show is how deeply grounded it is in real human emotion, even as you have the overly bright colors and the overly saturated light. Yes. You know, the emotions are real. They're, and that's yeah. what makes it work. Yeah. Ultimately, it is such an honest show. Yes. Yeah, yeah. In that everything feels, nothing feels artificial. Well, yes. I mean, you know, there are things that are obviously artificial, but, but, you know, but the people aren't and the relationships aren't. And we find out that the artificial things are artificial. Like they feel that way because they were purposely constructed. Yes. <laughs> well, one of the interesting things about the show, too, is how there are, in particular, Janet, who is artificial. Yes and yet starts becoming human. I love that. Yes. yes. Janet Janet and Michael becoming human over yes. the course of season two is amazing. Yes. I love that. And yeah, Janet, I don't know if it's learns, but acquires the ability to love, the ability to lie and to change. You know, she's not human. She says it herself. She's not human, but she is not like the other Janets anymore. And I think that's being rebooted so many times is one of the things that has done that to her. You know, so she, like everybody, you know, like Eleanor and Chidi and Tahani and Jason, she has been given an experience that nobody of her kind has had. And so in gaining that experience, she has become fundamentally different. Um, and the same with Michael. No demon like Michael has had the exact same experience that he has had. Nobody has had humans trying to make them better. Which, yeah. I, again, you know, you have to wonder what would happen if, right. you know, more demons had this experience. Right. And, and it's again, it's the two sides. They're given the opportunity, but they also take it. You know, Eleanor for the whole first part of her of her life on earth was given these opportunities fewer than most people had you know because of the overwhelming influence of of her horrible parents but right. you know she talked to environmental boy every day and she never took the opportunity until she was ready and then she did so you have to have both have the opportunity given to you and you have to take it yeah. and at the same time like all of the other demons who were staffing the neighborhood were around eleanor and chidi and tahani and jason you know they were around for all of the reboots and they never took the opportunity to change or become better only michael did and it's interesting how the reason why michael did is because he was basically painted into a corner 
that the only thing that nothing that he did was right. And so he had to gang up with the humans. And that part of that became, okay, well, yeah, we'll all work together. But you have to start taking ethics classes with us. Right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's like he was at the end of his rope and that that's what then allowed for that transformation to happen. Right. So brilliant. (laughs) It's an amazing, just every single bit of it is amazing. Yeah. Like, you know, going back to to Michael, actually just Ted Danson. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) He's casting because you absolutely believe him. As the good-hearted bumbling boss. Yes. Leave him. And then that moment in the season one finale. Yes. That you laugh. You, you, yeah. Just that slow smile. And you see a light reflected in his glasses. And then he just laughs. And it is the best evil laugh ever. Yes. Oh, so my gosh. Good. Every single thing that he does, just the way that he he commits to everything. Yes. Like, you know, again, in in the trolley problem uh, episode, Eleanor figures out that he is torturing them again. Yes. (laughs) And the look on his face when he's like, oh, busted. uh, You know, there's that that evil look. And then he tries to make things better by giving everybody something that would make them happy. Which, you know, the shrimp dispenser. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's hilarious. It's like, don't don't try the mystery flavor. It's white chocolate. It's terrible. And then she keeps on eating it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, he gives them all things that are going to make them happy and that do make them happy. And then Chidi takes his, like, you know, his manuscript from Kant that no one has ever seen. I think it was Kant. Might have been Kierkegaard. Anyway. Either Kant or Kierkegaard. One of of those. Yeah. Yeah. He takes it and he tosses it in the trash and says, no, this isn't okay. This is bribery. This isn't you apologizing at all. And and that's the one time when Chidi figures it out. Usually it's Eleanor who figures out what's going on. And and I think it's really, it's really notable that that's the one that Chidi gets. (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Neither did I until like just this minute. Yeah, Yeah, I'm trying to figure out exactly like, you know, why is it that in this situation it's Chidi that gets it? And maybe it's because Chidi is not, like materialism isn't his thing. Yeah. It never has been. Yeah. So while, you know, obviously Tahani is going to be happy with her, you know, bigger than anybody else's diamond. Right. And, I mean, and, and, and yeah. because that's that's her particular moral failing is that she has generosity without real intent behind it. You know, and and Jason is just not going to figure out anything except for that one time when he except did. That he's not going to figure time. this one out. I love that um, one time because, you know, uh, Michael's like, Jason figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. That was definitely a new low for Michael. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, what am I doing wrong? And Eleanor is still selfish enough, selfish enough, but she also has a lot of faith in other people, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the things I love about her is that, you know, she really wants to believe that Michael is giving gifts in good faith. Yeah, it's really amazing how Eleanor kind of goes back and forth when it comes to trusting people and not trusting people. When they were trying to decide whether or not they were going to, you know, team up with Michael, she was the one who was like, nope, nope, definitely not. 
Right. We can't trust him. And then there are other times, like then, that she is kind of willing to trust where other people are not. Right. And uh, leap into faith. Yes. Where she is the only holdout thinking, no, Michael hasn't betrayed us. Michael still is on our side. Yes. He's trying to send us these cryptic messages telling us how to help each other. And she's right. But you, but you spend that whole episode not really knowing. Like, you know, has Eleanor actually gone too far in the other direction? Has she become too trusting? Which, you know, yeah. luckily no. is not, in fact, the case. Right. Back to that, that moment, though, uh, in uh, the, uh, the trolley problem. Yes. After Chidi has rejected his gift, Michael says, what, do you want me to tell you that, you know, I'm sorry and I feel vulnerable? And, you know, and he he does this whole thing that's really kind of dismissive. And then Chidi says, yes, that's what I want you to tell me. And then Ted Danson's affect completely changes. And he says the exact same thing with heart and with intent. And that's also one of the moments that kind of made me tear up a little. Yeah. So it's like, wow, just the the change and the ability uh, that he is his showing yeah. to be able to to ask forgiveness when that's something that is so alien to him. Yes. Is really amazing. And you can see him sort of realizing as he's saying it just how deeply he feels it. It's so so powerful. And, and that's part of his becoming human, that he realizes that he can change and that he needs to change. Humans can change. Humans can make themselves get better. And I think that that's, you know, we, we talked a little bit about how how that can be kind of a long game. Because to, to go into, uh, you know, <laughs> some theology a little bit, yeah. uh, one of the, the ideas of behind a lot of uh, particularly Christian theology when it comes to the afterlife is the idea that you're able to change when you're on earth. But once you reach the afterlife, you're kind of frozen as far right. as whether you were a good person or a bad person, whatever, you can't change anything. It figures largely into, uh, for instance, Dante. You know, I was just going to say Dante. Yes, yes. A, yes. A medievalist. This is, this is where my, my knowledge intersects. Yeah. yeah no, and, and that's one of the things that you see really consistently. All of the people in the inferno, you know, none of them repent about what they did when they were alive. All of them are still trapped in the same sin. None of them take responsibility for their actions. None of them express regret, except they're sorry they got caught. They're not sorry they did the thing. And in Purgatorio, it's different. Everybody likes Inferno best. I really like Purgatorio, partly because (laughs) that's where all the artists and musicians hang out. Also, you know, Purgatorio is about motion and momentum. And you do sort of work off your sin there. But even the people in Purgatorio, you have to have repented while you were alive. Right. And it doesn't matter when. Like, you know, a couple of people are in Purgatorio because they led terrible lives, but said a prayer as they were dying. And that was enough. That's enough to show you that you want to change. But you still have to make that change while you're alive. That's one of the reasons behind Dante's own journey is that he goes into the afterlife as a warning to himself that he needs to change. You know, and he, when he gets to Purgatorio, like he knows he's going to have to spend some time there. He knows he has a lot of pride to work off, but he's there while he's still alive. He's given the second chance to go back to Earth to change his ways. But yeah, even even Dante has this idea that 
you can't change after you die. Right. <laughs> and I think that that is kind of an expectation, like a latent expectation in the minds of the demons in the good place. And that the, you know, as we've, we've said, that the revolution needs to be that, no, it doesn't stop on Earth. We're still right. people and we're still growing. Right. And it's never too late to become a good person, even after you've died. Yes. And, you know, little side note, it's really interesting how they never say heaven or hell. Yes. Uh, it's always <laughs> the good place or the bad place. Yes. And I suspect that's kind of to not have to make theological pronouncements. Yeah. In the pilot, they say, yeah, the Christians got it partly right. Yes. So the Buddhists, so did the Jews. You know, everybody got it like about 5% right. Yes, yes. And then there was this, was this one guy who was oh, a stoner. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he, he he just got the whole thing. And we're, we're so impressed that his, his picture's on our wall. Yes, it makes it very universal. It's true. I mean, except oh, for traditions that? that don't oh. believe in, in an afterlife. Um, yes. But... <laughs> Yeah. But even that, I mean, even that is consistent because it, it is all about what you do on Earth. Right. You know, for religions or philosophies that don't believe in an afterlife, that's consistent with that. <laughs> one of the interesting things, too, is at one point, uh, and I think this is actually also in the trolley problem, uh, which, wow, that's ama an amazing episode, um, <laughs> where they're, they're talking with Michael, uh, Chidi and Eleanor. And they're trying to make him care about studying ethics. Mm -hmm. And how they do it is they basically make him think about mortality. <gasps> oh. Which is really oh, interesting. Right. Because yeah. it's like they're all dead already. But there's still this idea of how somehow you could cease to exist. Death after death basically, which is really interesting. So so it even brings in kind of that idea that that there is nothing after existence. That there's a there is a point at which existence ends and that's what makes things important. Right. And they even manage to do it while in the afterlife, which is yes. kind of amazing. Like they're, they're already in eternity and yet they impress upon Michael the importance of mortality and finiteness. Yes. <laughs> My mind's kind of struggling with that now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a, uh, you know, something you have to wrap your brain around. It kind of has this hint that even eternity isn't eternal. Right. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting how the show has kind of shifted. Like I said, it doesn't shift its theme, but it shifts its mode. Yeah. That at first it was supposedly the good place and people are trying to be better while also trying not to let it show that they're not supposed to be there. And then after uh, the reveal that it's the bad place, then it becomes uh, kind of like the office is the mm. way that some people were putting it, like at yeah. first. The idea being that it becomes about Michael and about him and this experiment right. that he's trying to run and how once that the experiment has started going off the rails, what does he do with it? And now they're back on Earth. What do you think is going to happen next season? Yeah. What would you like to see next season? Oh, so I'm not sure they're really on Earth. Ah, that's interesting. I mean, I think they are. I don't know. I don't know if maybe Earth is another construct. Hmm. 
Although I don't think they would pull the same it's a construct twist twice. So, God, say that three times fast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think they would I don't think they would pull that trick twice. The thing that made me suspect was that, you know, when Eleanor goes to find Chidi, he speaks perfect English with an American accent. And I don't know if what if that's supposed to be a clue or if it's just, you know, TV magic, like, you know, the actor can't speak French and the actor can't manage a Nigeria to Senegal to Australia accent because that would probably be really hard. <laughs> so I don't know if it's just TV magic, he speaks English, we're not asking any questions. Or if that's a clue, because again, that was lampshaded in the pilot where... Eleanor says, wow, your English is really good. And Chidi says, yeah, I'm, well, I'm actually speaking French. Right. Um, this place just translates for you. Quick side note. So Chidi's uh, actor is William Jackson Harper. Yes. Who I was familiar with because he was part of the most recent version of The Electric Company. Was he really? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I hadn't seen him in anything else before. Ah, oh, that's great. Yes. So, you know, my kids... When they saw The Good Place, they're like, oh, my God, it's so-and-so. So, which is, which is amazing when you think about it as far as, like, him being a teacher. What do your kids think of The Good Place? They love it. Oh, they that's great. They absolutely love it, which is marvelous. They're absolutely over the moon about it, which means, you know, I've been watching a lot of The Good Place lately. The episode before this episode of the, of the podcast was uh -huh. Hannibal. I couldn't watch Hannibal with the kids, um, but but I can watch this with the kids, and they love it. Oh, so and like, are they, are they getting into philosophy because of it? <laughs> I don't know right offhand. Um, okay. we've definitely been having some interesting conversations. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So that's great. Yeah, at some point, I have this uh, this book that's kind of a graphic novel version of Philosophy One Hundred and One. That like mm -hmm. goes through all the the major philosophers and gives a, a basic explanation of who they are and what they teach. I've given it to Colby before. I'm not sure if he actually read it, but I think I'll try giving it to him and then giving it to Josie uh, yeah. after seeing you know the Good Place because it's like remember they talked about Kant. Here's Kant, and you know Kierkegaard. Here's Kierkegaard. <laughs> so yeah, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, but going back to the, uh, yeah, uh, the yeah, fact that Chidi, yeah, is season three. Yes. Yeah. So like I said, I don't know whether Chidi speaking perfect American English is a clue or just a thing that happens on TV and you don't ask questions. I hope it's a clue because, <laughs> yeah. because that would be a pretty big miss as yeah. far as, you know, like, consistency's like I... sake. Yeah, like I have more faith in this show that it's going to give us clues and that it puts things there for a reason. But in that case, then we're on then we're in another construct and the question becomes what's going on for everyone else in the construct? You know, is this just Eleanor's construct? Is Chidi real? Where are Tahani and Jason? Cuz we we saw the tickers for all of them. Right. So it's all doing something the question is are they each in their own construct world or are they all together in the same construct world or are they actually all back on earth doing things differently well it's interesting because michael of course steps into eleanor's construct yeah. either, either her construct or steps onto earth in her life 
And I don't remember there being any hint that, you know, angels or demons actually do that. Yeah, this, so, that's the first time we've seen any of them outside any of the places. None of the demons have mentioned being able to go onto Earth. They all have to you know, stay in the bad place and wait. Right. So, yeah, so maybe that is another clue that we're not actually back on Earth. It'll be really interesting to find that out because, <laughs> you know, both have kind of really interesting implications right. as to how the, uh, the characters are acting and what's expected of them and even how it then influences other people because you know Eleanor being a better person is going to influence also the people around her which you know the people around her are not great people but is there going to be the fact that she she quit her job and said you know this is terrible I'm not going to do this anymore you know is that going to influence her boss at all you know, we saw, you know, six months later, she did return to the same job and he actually got worse. That is true. Yeah. Um, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And her friends don't really seem to be getting to be better people. And Environment Boy already was good. Yeah. And hasn't changed a whole lot. Except now he's really disappointed in her, which is really sad. Right. So sad. Yeah. Um, it's like she was yeah. being so good. And then, yeah. which, you know, is something that, that I think... You know, I can definitely relate to Yeah, the idea that, you know, I tried to be a good person for so long and then nah, it all went away. Wait, come back. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, a, it's this really familiar and frustrating feeling. Like, I did everything right. Why didn't it work out? Yes. <laughs> yeah, which is you know, what Michael is talking about with moral dessert. Right. You know, the idea that because you're a good person, you deserve a return on that. And that's not actually a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that outside of moral desert, when you're not going to get something, then why is it that you continue being good? Right. It's because of what we owe each other. Exactly. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it is so I mean, great. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I honestly have no idea what's going to happen in season three. And I love that. Yeah. I mean, you know, what happened, what wound up happening in season two was not what I expected either. Yeah. And I love that. Like, yeah. what happened in the first episode. So, you know, going into season two, mm-hmm. I was hoping that it would not just be a whole season of them finding each other again and rehashing the steps of, ste- of season one. That's what yeah. I was concerned about, too, that they would just be, you know, going over old ground, basically. Right. And they didn't. Like, yeah. they got that out of the way in the first episode of season two. And then they went on to infinitely more interesting things. Yes. And so I have faith that season three is going to give us something totally unexpected and yet totally right. But everything has been so far. And yeah, I trust the show to take us to a good place. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. You're very oh, welcome. So much fun. I could talk about this show with you for like another three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the future, after season three, we can revisit it. I'd love to. Yeah. Same time next year. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Hopeless Fancast. You can follow us on Twitter at Hopeless Fancast, on our Facebook page, The Hopeless Fancast. And find all of our episodes on hopelessfancast.com. If you enjoy our show, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash thehopelessfancast to find out more. Thank you, and we'll see you soon.